Okay, so thank you, Andrew, for agreeing to take part in this podcast channel and for recording this episode, which we will be calling The Imagineer after your very own job title. Just for context, um, what day is it? 27th of August, 2019. It's a Tuesday. We have just had a lovely lunch at a Turkish restaurant that's opened yesterday, only yesterday, on Aberdeen beachfront. Um, and we decided to do this walking along the coast of Aberdeen, along the beach, which, what is it? It's definitely 5k. Definitely. I don't know if we'll, we'll complete a proper 5k walk, but um, we're going to walk and talk. So there's sea sounds in the, in the background and windmills and a beautiful sunny day. And as Andrew just pointed out, people sunbathing on the beach, fully clothed. So Andrew, you're an imagineer. Can you tell us please? What, what that means and what that entails. To me, Imagineer is somebody who creates places and spaces in their mind for other people to enjoy and experience. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you do that? What do you do? Uh, well, this is storytelling. Uh-huh. Um, using sort of words and uh-huh. then also images animations, virtual reality experiences, so it's just storytelling. So you use a mix of traditional storytelling methods, like you've mentioned, writing, drawing, you know, image, image, but you also use virtual reality and you've created some um, short films that are animations yes. as well, which you, which you create yourself. So how did you develop the skill set? Because it's not, it's all very well being an Imagineer, which to me is about the imagination and having the ideas, but actually delivering on them, creating. Where, do you, where did you develop the skill set to be able to do that? Um, well, I think it's a case of not of growing up and <laughs> make-believe places as a child mm-hmm. and telling stories and sort of making things up. And then when you start being a, an adult, that kind of thing's frowned upon unless you're in the, the creative industry. And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I went to university doing a computing degree and fairly sort of standard uh, straightforward computing things like that. Yes, I still wanted to tell the stories, but the opportunity was never there. It was never a platform to do it. Mm-hmm. So you went to, to do a computing degree at university, so obviously that will have taught you some basic skills in programming and other, th- other things that you might use today, but you reckon that you know, traditional career for a computing scientist or someone who studied computer sciences wouldn't necessarily be a creative one or it wasn't obvious how that you would knit the two together? Yeah, when I was growing up as a child in the 80s, uh, computer animation was still very uh, basic. Sort of things in television and it looked really amazing. And I thought I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm but no idea how and sort of the, the animation degrees and courses which are available nowadays just didn't exist back then so it was just the case of yes it's something nice but I'll never get to do that I'll go off and do computing where yes you do do a little bit of graphics but it was nothing very fancy or advanced um, so yeah it was stuff to do with business uh, stuff, software for businesses and things like that. 
And so, what, so when you were at school and you were thinking, right, what can I do? You did, you did identify that maybe there were some aspects of computing science that might give you some of those skills, but that wasn't really, not, not that it wasn't a real opportunity to develop a career in that kind of space. Uh, yes, uh, that's correct. So I'm from the generation where school started getting computers. In the 80s, we had the ZX Spectrum, and yeah, you got used to things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'd always had an interest in computing, and just always assumed that I'd go to university to do computing, but never knowing where it would actually lead. So you didn't have a plan for, right, I'm going to do computing and then I'm going to do, get a job in this industry or with this kind of employer or any of that? No, it was always the, the crazy ideas. I sit there as like, yeah, I'm not going to work for anyone. I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to do some software stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's all really cool and great. But that doesn't really happen in the real world or so you have to believe. So what did happen? So you, you, you went to Aberdeen University, you're a graduate of the um, University of Aberdeen, as am I. Um, so what year did you graduate? I graduated in 1994. Okay. Um, when I was in honours years, got distracted by this new thing called the World Wide Web, <laughs> which everybody was going on about, and spending time playing with that in the honours lab instead of focusing on things, should have. <laughs> maybe um, was one of the reasons why the degree wasn't quite as high a level as people were wanting for employment mm -hmm. in the, the computing industry. And so what did you do when you finished? Did you, you know, you said it, although you had gone into it without a firm plan of who you might be targeting as a potential employer, when you actually finished, did you go straight into work or what did you do next? I, I did apply for a couple of jobs and some interviews but at that, that level without any experience the level degree you got um, had an impact mm -hmm. so people were only wanting first and two ones and I only had a third so it, it didn't actually manage to get a, a job through the conventional channels mm -hmm. however a group of friends of mine had set up an internet service provider company in Aberdeen doing that thing of yeah, setting up their own company to do something cool because they didn't want to keep paying expensive phone bills to phone Edinburgh to get on the <laughs> internet. So I sort of fell into doing a job using that World Wide Web, which I discovered in honesty. It hadn't actually been such a waste of time after all. No, absolutely. And so that must have been fairly pioneering at the time, as you said, the sort of internet service provider um, being a... I don't know, com competitor or a, a better solution than having to phone. I don't remember. I can remember modems, but you know what? But back then you had to phone yeah on the modem, uh, national rate numbers to Edinburgh mm -hmm. to get online. So they set up something in Aberdeen. So you just got a local number. The side effect of it was those of us who worked in the company, we had access to very fast internet. The likes which people, ordinary people at the that time you never really knew. And so you, talk, you say fast, I mean how fast compared with today's oh, <laughs> expectations? Well, <yeah>. <laughs> Slower than today but when we were in the office we were plugged straight into the, the network which mm -hmm. connected us onto the internet. So we basically had the live internet plugged into the back of our desk. 
instead of having to go through phones and slowing everything down and dialing We didn't up. have that ding, ding, ding. So, okay, so, and how long did you work for them then? And what, what was your role there? Uh, I was doing some customer support, website development, building some uh, web applications for people. Mm -hmm. In 95, uh, I built a nice online um, book store for somebody and then somebody else we did an online uh, video purchasing store sort of things that yeah we did as projects which were then sort of discarded by people if we'd pushed at them still i believe online book sales and videos is quite a big business for some people <laughs> so, so yes. you were kind of ahead of the curve there maybe yeah so the stuff we were doing but we didn't realize we're ahead of the curve because yeah, it was just obvious things we were doing for people. Yeah. It's only when somebody else does it and ends up multi-millionaires, you realise, oh, well, we did that. Why did we not push it further? But was it quite a busy space in that time? Because it was obviously it, World Wide Web was in its infancy, but was something new and exciting and lots of people perhaps trying to, I don't know. Or were, or were people sceptical, kind of, you know, no, it'll never take off? Or was that just in the middle? Some <laughs> general people, population? Uh, yeah, it was the digital frontier. Yeah. I think people referred to it as websites was a new thing. Everybody was wanting, then suddenly everybody wanted a website, but they didn't know why they wanted a website. There were cowboys out there charging hundreds of thousands for a website, with people doing it for hundreds of pounds right yeah it was yeah wild frontier time lots of people were potentially being taken advantage of that they didn't know why they wanted a website they were sold stuff they didn't really need and i mean at that time aberdeen the oil industry in aberdeen was still on i mean it's it there's been a sort of more recent decline but would that have been a, a time it's obviously been here since the sort of 70s time would the 90s mid 90s have been a real time for boom in terms of the online presence online profile for oil companies or was it other kinds of clients you were working with it was um there was a, a wide range of clients but trying to get into the oil industry it wasn't easy because they were setting their ways and to an extent even now in 2019, they're stuck in their ways for some things and not embracing modern technology, mm -hmm. um, digital platforms. Okay. And so, how long did you stick in that kind of area of work, doing that kind I of stuff? I left there about 98. Okay. And went to work for a company doing uh, business management systems. And this so I was using the web technology I'd learned to use mm -hmm. for doing uh, stuff with businesses and business logic and business processes and various things. And was this in Aberdeen as well? Yes, Aberdeen as well. Okay. And were you feeling fulfilled by your work at this point? Most definitely not. <laughs> yeah, it's... can't get any satisfaction from seeing a a process chart appear on a screen on how to change uh, oil well or something like that. It's yeah, definitely okay. not what I was wanting to do. And so, I mean, it obviously needs must, and um, you know, you need to work and stuff. So that's a, a good way of bringing. But how how have you managed to 
morph from that kind of service provider, quite sort of typical job in in this kind of Aberdeen economy to what you're doing now. How long did this, you know, how did you shift it? So around 2001, I left doing that and went to a tech startup who were doing vehicle tracking. And this was when it was in the early days. Mm-hmm. So uh, not ANPR, not police systems? No, no, this, this was for tracking your delivery vehicles, planning where they were going, tracking personal vehicles for um, security and for sort of insurance things. Mm-hmm. So it was a startup and it was a case of, yeah, I was being paid to have fun. It was cool, fun stuff we were doing. And so how did that come about? How yeah. I just happened to notice an advert um, about the company mm-hmm. and, and it turned out somebody who actually worked there and I'd had a run of a run of trying to escape the previous job <laughs> and three companies in a row I'd had interviews with they turned me down and they'd gone bust or shut down within a couple of months. Okay. So I jokingly said this to this person who'd interviewed me nothing to lose it's like you do realize the last two people turned me down they've gone bust so <laughs> think to it wisely <laughs> and they employed me you're like i hear this is a threat or a promise okay so so that worked out <laughs> and um so you went to work there so all this well, so I, I, I joke about that but it's that feeling relaxed not the arrogance, but feeling relaxed at an interview uh-huh. sort of a job. That it's the sort of environment that if they can't take that kind of conversation and that thought process, mm-hmm. you don't want to be working for them. Right. So did, how, did you develop that confidence through working for a company, through, through the experience that you'd had by that point, probably about six, seven years of work experience? Did you kind of grow that kind of confidence through that or was it just something that you thought well if I want to actually do what I want to do I have to be myself and I have to just you know what how did that realization well I think it's, it's part of the confidence say the first job it was working for friends so it was never that sort of the big scary boss right you got to be behave and yeah behave like in a big organization where head of HR is going to come and chase you out sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough never to actually work in those kind of environments. So I think it's part of being yeah, relaxed and comfortable in your own skin doing what you believe you can do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's where the confidence comes from. And so did that, did that serve you well in that job? You know, when you, were, you said it was fun, what were, what were you doing in terms of vehicle tracking? Were you moving things on, creating new systems? Yeah, we were, we were doing cutting edge things. We were going to conferences in uh, Cannes for um, vehicle tracking and various different things. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was, it was fun times, but it was R&D and pushing things forward. But unfortunately, their funding ran out and the company went under. Not because they employed you. No. <laughs> it took it took time for them to go under. Um, right. But unfortunately, that's when I learned the first lesson that being an employee isn't a secure position. Yeah. When you're suddenly made redundant and owed thousands of pounds, which you never see. Yeah. And I suppose equally, well, being an employee, but equally working working at the cutting edge um, is a, a risky business because it. <laughs> 
I suppose it's that kind of fine balance between things hitting at the right time, people having belief or being convinced by the ideas or the products and things like that. It's not, it doesn't necessarily all fall into place at, at one point. Yes, the right type, the right time, right place is definitely a big factor. There's several projects I've been involved in over the years will seem to be there too early for mm -hmm. people to get and understand. It's, it's easier to point to something in the market and say, we do something like that, but better. And yeah. then they get it, rather than saying, we do this new thing, which people don't comprehend. And how do you kind of, because I mean, that must still carry through into your, your work today with, I mean, just some of the projects that I know about, thinking about you um, do comic, animated, animated um, graphic storytelling. Um, you've made short films, graphic animations again, so you have different formats, a kind of comic, the printed comic format. You have the kind of film, audio, visual format. You do photography. Um, you do, you've been creating gardens. You, you know, you are creating all these different things and using different media, but again, are you always still finding yourself in that place where you're trying to explain what it is that you're doing? I mean, even the, obviously people recognise what comics and films are, and those are not new, but the kinds of concepts that you're trying to portray through your storytelling are always just slightly pushing beyond the kind of recognisable in the everyday. They're just at that sort of fingertips, in my impression anyway. So that's like, it's almost like you can just touch it or just see the edge of it, but you've got to have that leap of faith to be able to go with it. Yes, well, fully that, that, that's the, the imagining part, is taking the ordinary everyday and just pushing that a little bit further to see where it may end up. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of my stuff is science fiction based, and that's what science fiction is, it's taking the the everyday and the, the what if mm -hmm. and just being able to imagine what those what ifs are yes it's similar to some of the project to work on it's like you know it's the imagination you need it to believe it mm -hmm. and these days there's, there's a much bigger thanks to the internet it's easier to reach an audience who think on the same level or think in the same sort of area and are willing to embrace what you're doing and so, on that, I mean, you mentioned uh, earlier on about that kind of early, the early years of you developing web pages and people maybe didn't know what they wanted them for, who they were communicating with, and all that kind of thing. You have a web page um, for your company or portfolio of activities. Is yes. that okay to do? You want to plug it? Or do you want to plug it? Yeah, so the all my creative projects I run through um, my company. And the website for that is www.asae.co.uk. So I, after being made redundant, I set up a company, Andrew Sage Art and Entertainment, for creating um, board games, card games, and all my creative projects have kind of followed on through that of, yeah, having a company to do it as a vehicle to do it. Some times makes it feel more uh, legitimate mm -hmm. in the eyes of some people um, and yeah, it's a business base to run it all around. 
And do you think that gives you opportunity, you know, having your own business? And can I ask, when did you establish that? So that was after the, so the redundant, sorry, we've kind of gone chronologically a bit back in. So after the, the um, business you were working with, with the vehicle tracking, when boss, that's when you, you incorporated the company? Uh, yeah, so around 2005, I think it was. Okay, see. Um, I, I came up with some game ideas and tried uh, getting them to find somebody to produce them, manufacture these card games. And after various meetings with people and people wanting lots of money to maybe do something with the idea, I ended up just spending the money myself and get the games made in China whilst I was also contracting doing IT contract work. Okay. That's the sort of... In, in the old days, people used to have patrons which would finance their big creative projects. So I've just ended up being my own patron. Mm-hmm. So you kind of work um, on the side to finance the creative projects through the business and then if yes. that gives you something back, then, then turn about. And so you've been doing that now for 14 years or so. Yes. And how have you found that kind of ebb and flow, which is appropriate for walking along? <laughs> yes, we go like walk down the slope. And the waves get louder and louder. I think the tide's going out. <laughs> yeah, the, so the contracting side of things, working on various projects, it's been up and down. Um, but I've been lucky that I've never had to go looking for for work since mm -hmm. I started doing that people always come to me for various things and that's worked well. Sometimes with the, the day job being intense and busy it keeps away from the creative stuff and then the other times it's, it's just a release to escape from it all. When you're sitting there in a, in a boring job contracting doing stuff for hours and hours and days and days the mind goes and creates all these wonderful places to imagine so do you think that is a benefit of actually having that that you know if you were doing creative projects all the time do you think you might lack inspiration or lack being driven to that place where the inspiration comes and so actually having this kind of day job balance puts you gives you those well it gives you the sort of regular cash but it gives you also this push into a space where your mind starts to yes it does because a lot of my writings, this is the what-ifs and some of the various technology projects I've been involved in, it's easy to see if they're taken in the wrong direction, they could lead to various uh, scenarios which mm -hmm. are used for inspiration. And then other of the creative stuff is just, uh, instead of jumping up in the room and shouting how bad it is what you're doing, you just turn it into a story, turn it into a comic. And people enjoy it. Sometimes they don't know the roots, but they still enjoy it. So it's it's very re rewarding like that. And so, you know, you've mentioned as well that you've not had to look, you know, for work or apply for work, and that way your kind of network keeps you buoyant in that kind of. Sorry, I'm using all these nautical <laughs> terminology. You know. um, so it keeps you, you know, you've not had to go and look. But would you say the same happens with creative projects? I mean, that's how you and I met in the first instance, where we, um, which must be, I don't know, that two or three years now? I think it's probably more than two or three years. It's probably about four or five years. It feels that long, <laughs> but I don't know that it is. Do you think it is? I suppose about, it's three, yesterday I got a message from Facebook 
on this, you did this in the past type thing. And it was the picture when I submitted the, the app we worked on for the first time, it was three years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And that app came around about a year or so after we did the first, the first thing. project. So maybe it's so four we, years so then. It was about four. So, and this app, so we, we were introduced to each other because, and this is why we're walking um, probably, is because Andrew and I have been competing for some years now. Um, using different devices, well, probably four years, using different devices as we've... Uh, <laughs> You're 81 <laughs> points ahead of me. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> at first, I think we've maybe had different devices. Then we've, we, we synced so that we could uh, compete with each other and we compete daily and have done now for probably the same period of time, three or yes. four years. So we collect steps and we um, track various different art and we would probably consider ourselves quantified selves of, of some description. But um, my interest is in digital health and um, how um, step, step tracking, that kind of thing, might improve people's health or not. Um, and things like Pokemon Go, are they good games? And of course, Andrew, having previously created games and also having this kind of interest, but as well having the um, digital skills, photography skills to be able to create, I don't know. Well, I don't know where we really came up with that ex the idea, but we it were doing- It was the George Washington Wilson city of go uh, ghosts. Yes. happening in Aberdeen. And that was part of the university's project to, to showcase and celebrate the George Washington Wilson archive, which is a series of photographs of, from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, not, not exclusively Aberdeen, but a lot were taken in Aberdeen and we did a kind of re-photography project and created walks between various of yeah. the... So there's a low-tech paper-based walk system which we then evolved into a, an app-based for various different walks of unexpected, lost, interesting places around Aberdeen. Yeah, and we do that in collaboration with Pete Stollery and Ed Welch, um, who are colleagues at the University of Aberdeen, who have an interest in, um, or are, are working in areas of music and visual culture, respectively. So uh, we have a kind of band of four um, who, who have created this app. So that was one creative project um, that, that has come through this. And we've kind of, I suppose, funded that through little pockets of funding that we've been able to get together. But really, it's not something that you could... We're not retiring yet. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but then, through following, you know, through meeting you at that point, and that was the kind of big new project, but you have gone on to work on so many different interesting projects since then, um, using haptic technologies, VR technologies, and the most recent one, the gardens. Can you tell us a bit about the gardens? Okay, so the, the gardens project um, was a geovation innovation challenge at the end of 2017. And their challenge was to do with urban um, well-being, urban greening. So urban greening was the challenge. Okay. So to bring well-being and green spaces to city dwellers. And we came up with a concept of a modular portable mobile garden where we pulled the garden off site, drop it in place for a while to brighten up and bring some green and well-being to an area, and then it moves off elsewhere. Okay, and so you had this idea, um, and how have you delivered on the idea? See, this is 
Imagining and creating things in the digital world is fairly straightforward. You create something on the computer, it's there, you move it around, it's nice and straightforward, it's simple. It's visual, you're visualising. When I did the card games around 2006-2007, it was a physical item had to get made in China. You got all the logistics of shipping things around. And a little pocket pack of cards is light and easy. When there's 8,000 of them, it's a lot more logistics. <laughs> Scaling this up to a garden, and you're moving around a two-ton, 20-foot by 8-foot garden, which is portable with the right lorries, it's, it's more of a challenge mm -hmm. moving things around and getting things done with physical items than it is ones and zeros in mind. And especially, so you mentioned packs of cards, even if it's 8,000 packs of cards, but portable gardens, now you're doing these in containers, that's quite something on a different scale. Yes, but it's the scale isn't really a big factor in it, because if you're, well, I believe, if you're able to work with stuff on one scale, size of scale and idea, it's just moving something else around. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just getting the concept which, again, people can understand and see. When we had the, the, the concept of it, people didn't quite always get what we were saying. When we actually took the demonstration unit to an event in Aberdeen recently, people blocked it and they were wanting one in their own garden because it was nice and height for them to garden without hurting the bags. So can you just describe what this looks like? Uh, it's a big wooden box, about just under a metre high, which has got a full garden in it. Um, so it's got its own irrigation, it's sort of real plants, they feed themselves to the water, which gets recycled from the rain, and it's got its own food in it for it. And yeah, so it's a complete garden, but they're big enough to actually walk on, and they can, can be walked on and interacted with. So they're not like a window box. These are full gardens which you can take with you. And who is your sort of target audience with, it, with these? Or your target customer? The initial idea as part of the challenge was for greening urban spaces in, in cities. So local authority if possible. Okay. But in these economic times, local authorities don't have money to do stuff like that. We are more looking at sort of the corporates uh, sponsorship or in car parks and big businesses places sort of that idea uh, or, or business partnerships sponsoring them in their own cities which is what we're trying to achieve in Aberdeen mm -hmm. and, and then there's this unexpected market of people themselves saying we would like them in our garden because they're nice self-contained and we can look at them and work with them without hurting a box that's really interesting. So, unintended. Now we've met, come to the end. We have to do this shift around so we don't shiggle the microphone. Um, so that's interested, like the unexpected. So do you or unintended? Do you find very often with creative projects that that happens? That you know, you come up with an idea, you or a concept, you realise that whatever medium that that might you know be realised through, and then 
you, you show it to people um, and then the people who you thought might have been interested or what have you, it actually it has a kind of broader reach than you might have ever Yes, yeah, so that's imagined. definitely been the, the case with some of the creative uh, projects. So I wrote a, a graphic novel which I had sitting around for since 2006 and it was only in 2016 at a networking event I met uh, a design student who was there wanted to find out what the, the real business world were looking for people and we were speaking and she likes the script and agreed to create the illustrations for me so th this is novel it was a story said about something but people who have seen it since have said it addresses various issues to do with addiction and recovery from addiction, youth suicide and all these all these sort of darker areas which I wasn't intending it to go into. But these are people who've read it and seen it and said, yeah, I'm speaking to these people. Mm -hmm. This is great stuff. So that that was not something you'd ever considered. No, I'd set out to just to tell a story, to get it out of my head. And into the world. And in some way, I had it written down and getting a novel done has to be longer. Getting a film made is expensive, so oh, a graphic novel comic. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest route to bring the stories to life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the imagined projects have been you know, just ways to get my stories out there, which is why I've ended up filming them animated because animation is easier to do than filming well I find it easier to do mm -hmm. but it has led me on to being introduced to people that we are looking to film our first live action short later this year that's really exciting and actually I think this is maybe what I was trying to get out earlier when I was saying how do you get into these things like where do you get the skills and actually it's not the skill the the skill is the being able to imagine and the, the networks are what enable it to take different shapes and to you know, work with other people with particular hard skills to be able to bring things to life with, um, uh, in the way that you imagine them. Yes, well they don't always come out the way you imagine them as well, which is quite pleasing sometimes when somebody takes it and interprets it their own way. Mm -hmm. Brings my stuff to life in unexpected ways, which I find enjoyable. But yes, it was the, the confidence in realising that I could do this and it can be done breaks down the barriers and then once you're with people who do similar things they think you should be there so they just treat you if you should be there and that's how your network grows mm -hmm. and I can lead into these other projects to do it. If I just always sat there going, well I've got these great stories but I'm not a trained artist, I'm not a trained writer. I'm sitting there with my third class on this degree from 25 years ago. This isn't for me. I would still be stuck doing what I don't like. Yeah. It's for breaking out of the, the box of, yeah, if you just believe you can do it, you'll find other people who believe, believe in you as too. well. But you haven't just kind of sort of gung-ho believed I think or certainly as a, a friend or somebody on the sidelines over the last few years I've seen you really engage in uh, training opportunities networking opportunities you've traveled all around Scotland and probably further to um, 
make yourself present at these places and to engage with people proactively rather than sort of just, you know. Yes. Well, it's, a, it's once, once the ball starts rolling, once you believe you can do it and you see people taking you seriously, then you can put the effort in and think there's something worthwhile for it. If it had been a case of I'd go to these events and they go in, sorry, you're not part of the club, you're not getting in, they wouldn't have got anywhere. But being accepted and you know, just, just believing that I should be there pushes open those doors. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And do you find that these, these networks and things overlap in different cities? Are there more sort of vibrant spaces where you meet people from different disciplines or different creators or artists? Yeah, different cities have different, different groups of people and different cultures. Uh, so I go to Glasgow for the screenwriting stuff, a lot of the creative projects and that stuff I was doing for a while I was down a lot in London. Again, where people are more just open to it, you go to an event and you speak about what you do and people listen. Okay. Whereas sometimes some of the networking events in Aberdeen are harder to, to find the right sort of creative things. It's more business related. I suppose there are fewer people and then like you say the bit the focus is on business rather than on creativity necessarily. Yes. Or there's more emphasis on that as a as a route forward. Or, the, or maybe there's a more of a focus on the gain or end goal or something. So that kind of brings us so because I, I mean for, as I've seen it you've been building up and kind of going on different courses going on different um, workshops and kind of learning events and then more recently you have uh, registered for a really formal um, and extended period of, of study um, at the University of York. Yes, I stumbled across a tweet on Twitter as you do which mentioned a course which I thought may be interesting and yeah one mouse click leads to another <laughs> and I am now about to start the second year of a three-year Masters in Railway Studies. I've always had uh, interest in history and industrial revolution and, and various things and, and transport but never found a way or a course relevant to take it further. All the history courses I looked at locally aren't that kind of history. It's like Scottish history or uh, sort of Nordic mm -hmm. sort of history type of stuff, which wasn't what I was interested in. But this this course around the history of the railways from the beginning until the mid 90s, it was just perfect. I, I saw it as a way to uh, learn research skills, which mm -hmm. I could then use in my creative writing projects and to bring more life to the imagined world. Okay, and so it is, there is kind of a, that you have an interest in the area, but you also have this um, other, you know, skills development expectation of, of the course. But what, what I found most interesting, I mean, it, it comes as no surprise to me that you would want to study railway studies at all, um, given conversations we've had, but what 
What still amuses me, and I'm sorry to raise it again, but we also um, are friends outside of our creative projects, which I think tends to happen quite a bit in both of our industries, where people work yes. together on the, on ideas and um, spend time outside of work as well, enjoying yeah, we're definitely not nine to five <laughs> kinds projects, of people. So it, yeah, we end up exactly. And so we both have uh, an interest in the 80s music and things and, and travel to see various bands and things. So um, I quite often go on the train. <laughs> you, you never go on the train. And I just, I just find this the funniest thing, that um, you're not a train traveller in general, as a general rule. Well, that's the way I see it. People study the Black Death, but they wouldn't want the Black Death. <laughs> have an That's a good in, point. <laughs> have an interest in trains, and I travelled a lot on trains on the intercity runs when I was a child. So maybe that's some kind of effect on me now. Yes. And I prefer the, the personal space of a car and the freedom that brings. But yes, just because I don't enjoy travelling on a train now, doesn't mean I can't study them to work out a brighter future to be more enjoyable for us. Because worked with transport tracking and all those different things over the years, and chance meetings and things, like random events ending up at meetings at 10 Downing Street, it's not what you expect in your life, <laughs> but it happens. So, to some people. <laughs> so uh, it's... It's not inconceivable that what I am doing on this this course, history um, sets up. What's used in history is of use to us now. Yeah. We learn from history, so it's not inconceivable that something I'm studying in here may turn up into something useful in the future. Yeah, and if you're someone who can see within and across ideas, disciplines concepts that kind of thing then you always have the opportunity to take those things further or make something new out of them I suppose so yes, that's one of the even all the days when I was doing the software I have to immerse myself in whatever domain the project was for yeah so yeah I'm just used to dropping into these things and seeing things and doing whatever either imagined or real so yeah, I guess with the history, the railways, it all, all fits in. So where do you see the, the future of yourself, your business, the, you know, the Imagineers paradise? Well, realistically, so the intention is to get some short films completed for festivals, and then that gets known as a, as a writer out there to the audience and don't know where that's going to end up going mm-hmm. and there's sort of businesses for the gardens and other projects again they're positive things which can make life better for people yeah and once it gets going yeah no idea what's going to end up but gardens environment and well-being are big things at the moment yeah, and then the sort of education, yeah, now I've got a taste for it again. And there's a big leap going from no academic writing, especially in a computing degree where you wrote software, yep. essays, yep. to 
20 years later, having to write essays and being all academic, I don't see it unrealistic I could end up having a go a PhD. So that's maybe the next, next stage. But cool. that's a couple of years off. <laughs> and would you see yourself as wanting, I mean, to become an academic of, of sorts, having worked with three of us very closely for the last few years? Um, to be honest, it's too, too constricting. Mm-hmm. Being working in an academic world, you're having to answer to someone. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have to answer to clients, but it's a bit different. If I want to go off and do something, I can't. You can't really drop something and go off and do something else at a whim. Yeah, and so you really, for you, freedom is the ultimate? Yes. Yeah, after being stuck in the job you don't like doing at an early age. Yeah. Freedom. And I've been lucky enough to get it. And what, what kind of advice would you give to, because you know, there are lots of people who maybe find themselves in the position of feeling kind of trapped in either their job or their, or their career. I mean, even in, in some senses, it might be a job that has been, um, you know, because of circumstances, someone's in that job, or it might have even been a really well-planned career that someone wakes up and says, what, what are we doing? Why am I coming to this job and doing this work every day? So, you know, to, to be able to achieve that sense of freedom, um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody to be able to get that, that feeling? There is some luck and circumstances to it to help things along. Um, so I, I know when I was made redundant, it forced me to do, it took me out of the comfort zone and forced me to do something. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's yet that to believe in yourself and take a risk. Take a risk. And will you continue to take risks? It's never like you've just arrived, you just always have that journey ahead. Yeah, always, there's always a journey ahead because there are some projects and goals I achieved. And I say, oh, I've done this now. What am I going to do for the next 60 years? Yeah. Yeah. But you'll just keep... And then do you see, like, in terms of, I don't know, there's been a lot of talk about pension ages increasing and about retirement and things like that. Do you think this is more of, um, I don't know, a vocation than a, you know, practice rather than a, a job? Yes. It's a yeah. lifestyle? Yes, it's definitely a lifestyle. And a lifestyle that you enjoy? Most of the time. <laughs> so what don't you enjoy? <laughs> the 10k waltz being interviewed along the beach. <laughs> I don't think that's quite 10k, is it really? <laughs> okay, we're not quite at the other end yet, but um, <laughs> you've been recording this. I've been audio recording this, you've been uh, recording the, the walk. Um, well, sorry, we have caught on the wires. So, is there anything else that you think, you know, in terms of the focus of this podcast channel is really about the idea of higher education and people's different journeys through it at different points, and I think we've covered that. Um, and in terms of human employment, I think we've kind of covered your journey through employment and self-employment um, and enjoyment. <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, I don't think there's, I think everything's been, <laughs> it's, just, it's just quite, 
daunting looking back over a fairly short amount of time. Yeah. Of, of a lifetime. 25 years or so. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. What can be achieved? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the quality of life as well, the achievements in terms yes. of individual projects and delivering them, but that too. Well, on that note, we will uh, probably switch the recorder off if that's okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest on this channel and uh, I hope the listeners enjoy the episode and I look forward to uh, seeing the future of what this Imagineer goes on to create, achieve and inspire in others. Thank you very much, Andrew Sage. Thank you.